Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 271. Your happy co-hosts are here, Brendan and Tom Maluli. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> He's got his DJ voice going. Yeah. So we picked out a couple of articles that we've had uh, that have come to our attention that we think are worth talking about. Not that we want to focus too much on you know, news of the day, because we try not to get swung around with this, with the headlines that drive the markets up and down on a daily basis. But Jim Cramer had an article in CBS uh, Market Watch. I guess I have to stop using CBS Market Watch. It's just Market Watch. That's it? Yeah, because they were sold from CBS years ago to Dow Jones. Okay. So their whole website used to be cbs.marketwatch.com. So well, I, I never knew where it came from. I just know it as Market Watch. Yeah. So uh, now, I, now I know the story. A uh, headline was, uh, it's a trap. And he basically was saying, if you were frantically buying or selling stocks based on a yield curve inversion, calm down. Well, let's back up a second because the he here is is Jim Cramer, and uh, before we get into why I don't disagree with him, I I do think it's a bit ironic that Cramer is telling people to not frantically do things because that guy is the most frantic person I have ever seen in my life, and and his whole his whole shtick is just screaming on the television about buying and selling. So, I think it's kind of rich that he is telling people to not not do that. He's the he should be a marketing spokesman for like antidepressants. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think uh, coming coming from a guy like that, it just seems like do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, Jim Zoloft. Yeah, not not sure uh, I take it, but as I said, uh, I think that both of us generally uh, agree with his wisdom here. Not necessarily due to our feelings about yield curves and inversions, but but more broadly speaking about the idea of making binary all-in, all-out decisions with your money based on any one-off or, or group of single indicators. I just think that in general that seems foolish, whether we're talking about the yield curve or you name it. I don't know. Tariff, tariff man. Well, certainly news, but like the, the yield curve is not like a a headline indicator. You definitely don't buy and sell based off of the headlines, but also like this is a this is a more general like economic indicator. I'm trying to think of another similar type. Payroll reports used to ha- carry that much weight, right? Or like sell in May and go away. Like don't don't do that, right? If you're a trader, there may be some kind of merit to that. If you're a trader, we're probably not talking though cuz I just don't think we're going to be a good match for yeah. each other. I also think you're probably deluding yourself if you think you have an edge doing that. Yeah. I'm a savvy trader until I'm not a savvy trader. Right. It's interesting. Yeah, I agree that he comes out and says, hey, you know, don't trick yourself into thinking this is happening. The mm-hmm. other the other point, and again, I don't want to make this about market calls or predictions or anything like that, but this market kind of flipped out last week when the yield curve inverted. But if you look at the uh, yield curve Depending on where you draw the lines, the yield curve has been inverted for a few months. Uh, now we're starting to see a lot more action towards that. It was inverted, and then it now it's not inverted. It could certainly be inverted again in a few weeks or a few months. And it doesn't necessarily mean that something is definitely coming. 
So the reason why uh, the market sold off one of the, one, one of, of the reasons one of the reasons that the market sold off is because people tie an inverted yield curve to inbound recession. To right. Things are coming. I'm not sure that that isn't a sensible thing to do as as the yield curve has inverted before how many of the last recessions. Right. It's, it's not wrong, but to use it as a signal to rip up the script I don't really know because I think that when we're building portfolios here, at least for people, we're, we're building portfolios and financial plans that take into account if somebody is investing for 10, 20, 30 years into the future, there are going to be recessions. And that doesn't mean that we're going to, to dump all of our stocks because of that. That's that's not the case at all. It's not. And it's funny that you bring this up because we're both on Twitter and you should follow us on Twitter if you get on Twitter and just follow us. <laughs> uh, it's an ongoing conversation that we have there. But one of the things I've been pointing out is that people are starting to post a lot of these recession charts. <clears throat> like, look what happened to the markets when a recession happened. The one thing I want, I, I try and comment where I can, where it's appropriate on a, under a lot of these charts is they'll usually put the recession period in a gray bar or a red bar. And the point I try to make is, hey, that red bar is not as thick as all the other times. Like Brendan said, if we're investing for 10, 20, sometimes 30 years, 30 years, you could have five or six recessions that we're going to get through. You're probably going to. Right. Not, it's not, I don't think it's a question of like if. There it's are just going, a matter of how many. Recessions are like breathing. It's like you inhale and you exhale. There are, there are two parts to breathing. That's, that's how the economy works. We can't just not have recessions. That's, right. that's not normal. When you look at the bars on these charts uh, that show a recession, I think that it, that it misportrays it because it makes it seem like when you were living in it in real time, you woke up one day and and like the gray bar, the gray bar that the, the recession is like surrounds you and that you know like like oh I woke up on on Tuesday and I knew that we had entered a recession. The definition of a recession is two quarters of negative GDP. Correct. Correct. So we, by the definition of what a recession is, do not know that we're in one until we're already six months into it at least. And what's the average duration of a recession? I don't I'll, know. I would I would you. venture a year or two. Ten months. Right. So you don't even know a recession is happening until you're halfway through it. And and, and a lot of that's really if you're thinking about being a market timer. Right. I think that's when you probably want to be putting money in. Right. Not not pulling it out. I just I don't know. I mean I think that obviously I understand the attempts to discern when the next recession is going to occur because they normally do coincide with downturns in the market as well, although that is not always the case. Right. And it's all it's not always to the magnitude that we saw in 07, 08, which I think also skews people's opinions of what to expect. Yeah. But these these things can happen and they will happen over the course of your investing lifetime. And it's not if if you're if your financial plan, what you're doing this all for, the purpose behind it all is predicated upon you nailing the tops and bottoms of all of the recessions you're going to experience over your lifetime, then I don't know what to tell you because you're going to fail. Yeah. That, that is what I'm going to tell you. you. Know I do saying? know what I'm going to tell you. Dude, you're getting a Dell. <laughs> like you're like, you're screwed. Like that is not a plan. No, not a plan at all. It's, it's not a plan. And I get the appeal. I think that if people are concerned about 
a recession and not only what it would do to you know stocks if it coincides with the bear market their investments but also you know if they if they're worried about their job and and what might happen if if a recession were serious i think the thing to do might be to channel some more of your savings towards your cash stockpile if you're if you're worried and and obviously do so in in you know a moderate way keep plowing your money if you're working into your long-term investments too because you need those to work and buying shares during something like a bear market or a recession or both is the smart thing to do it, it is what you want to do you want to be accumulating shares then but to build that stockpile of of cash that you could tap into if things got really bad in the market and and your life in general that might help you in terms of peace of mind to know that you're doing something if if you think that a recession is coming and I cannot dissuade you otherwise and you think that you've got it panned and, and you know for sure, I think that would be the thing to do. Start 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 building up your cash reserves if they're not at a point that make you comfortable. So you can you can ride out anything that you need to or you know, get get through the downturn in the market that's going to occur. To to imagine that you're going to know what's what's coming and sidestep all of it is delusional. It's not going to work that way. So I think it's fair to say that if you are trying to pivot between having money in the market versus not in the market, maybe you're not an all-in, all-out person, but maybe you want to shift the load from 80-20, favoring stocks, to 20-80 or 70-30 and swing between the two of them. You're still going to be screwing yourself at some point along the cycle because I I think what planners know, individuals may not know or may not realize, if you average 6% a year net growth in your account, you're going to have some years where you're making double-digit returns and you're going to have years with losses. And double-digit double losses. Right. That's just as you get double-digit gains, but you're going to have more double-digit gains than you do losses, and right. that's how they average to a positive number. Right, and that all comes down to the number that we talk about when we're planning with a client in terms of what to expect. And so I think a lot of folks are still hung up on the idea that I have to make 6% or I have to make 8% or I have to make 10%. Holy crap, that person's in a lot of trouble. You know, if they have to make 10%, because the first year that they make seven, they feel like they're losing. It's a long game, folks. You have to understand that, you know, a couple of sixes and sevens and an occasional 13 and a minus five, they're all going to work out. They're all going to work out. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Along the same lines, there was another article. We use the headlines from today to reinforce some longer-term ideas. The Boston Fed president, Eric Rosengren, said just the other day, the Federal Reserve should be careful not to cut interest rates too much now because it would push homeowners and businesses to take on more debt. 
And that would make any kind of recession more painful. And I agree. Before we turn on the mics, and we were talking about this article, I brought up that line that we've heard a million times, that uh, the markets, markets don't repeat, but they often rhyme. Just thinking about consumers and businesses levering up uh, because they have access to easy credit that they didn't have before. And there was another article that came out same day saying banks are starting to make stupid loans again. People are going to have, have access or be able to get their hands on money that wasn't available to them before. It's like everyone forgot what 2009 and 2010s were like. The banks were closed for, for loans. Like that just wasn't happening. I'm a little leery that we're getting into the stupid stage of the game. People are, I'm, I'm worried that people may get drunk on having access to, air quotes, free money. Yeah, I mean, I think that interest rates being lower makes it cost less to have debt. But I just think in general, uh, the, the mindset of, you know, you, you certainly need to take out debt to do some things in life. Like, Pretty much everybody needs to take out a loan to buy a home. Not many people are walking up with cash to buy their place. Right. So you have to take out a loan for that. And to get a low interest rate today, that's great. I don't necessarily know. Tell me if you disagree. I don't think there's anybody out there buying a house primarily because interest rates are low. I think they need a place to live unless it's like their investment property. If you and your spouse are out home shopping, and you find the home of your dreams, say this is going to be your first home that you're going to buy, do you really care what the interest rate is on the mortgage? No, I don't I don't think so. Get the house. I mean, as long as, so to a degree, because the difference between rates today or like a 10% rate on the mortgage could make it not affordable to sure. you at the same price, all else equal. Like let's say the house is $500,000 or something. If you're getting 2% interest versus 10%, that's going to change your, your monthly number quite a bit. So I agree uh, to an extent because, the, because the, the interest can make it unaffordable to a point. In a similar vein, if you are looking to move up in a house and maybe you were thinking about this a year or a year and a half ago and you're saying, hey, we can move to a house that's we can afford 400000 Now, today, you know what? We could actually stretch a little hmm. and get to 500000 That's fair because because the rate has come down. The rate has know, come down. To a point where maybe the monthly, the monthly payment's the same as it was a year or a year ago, but you can afford the house now because, sure. because and, the rates are lower. Right? And 20% of 400000 is $80,000. Right. 20% down on 500000 it's only twenty grand more. But you're packing on another eighty thousand dollars in debt, mm -hmm. and but, but you don't feel it as much because maybe the number hasn't budged much, right. if at all, because of interest rates. Right. So yeah, I, I could see how that that works. And then so the premise would be that like the person who does that is barely squeezing into something because interest rates are a little lower, maybe uh, you know distorting the picture a little bit for them. And then if the economy is no good in a year or two, and somebody loses their job, then the payment they were just squeezing into is no longer affordable, and then we have problems. So along the same lines, local car company advertising on TV, uh, come on in for our uh, 2020s are going to be on a lot soon. We're having a special to move out our 2019 inventory. We have low rates for up to 84 months. I just want to like 
take the lampshade off some people. Is that a seven-year car loan? That is a seven-year <laughs> car loan. Yeah, and cool. it's already a 2019. This so, month, this month, just to tell you about something that's seven. I've been at Maluli Asset Management now for seven years. Congratulations. So if I bought a car the day I started here, I would be done paying it off now if I took a seven-year loan. And it would... It would be a seven-year-old car, maybe yeah. even an eight-year-old car. Right. Because that's the point I was going to make was that if you're buying a 2019, you're probably not even going to hit 2,000 or 3,000 miles until 2020. Hmm. So you're going to be done with this car. It's going to be an eight-year-old car, which is it's going nothing... to strap you strap you into another set of car payments as soon as you're done paying for that car. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that if you're going to ride it longer, but I think that and I'm I'm going to butcher this because I don't remember the number of years, but I, I want to say that the average American drives their car for like five years. That's right. And so if you're taking out a loan on something that you have no intention of actually driving for seven years, just because it's a low rate and you can get seven-year financing, that's, I don't know. I think it's, it's mostly all of these discussions, no matter if we're talking cars or houses or personal loans or whatever it may be, it's, I think it just comes down to knowing, knowing what things deserve financing and and which ones don't and that's a little case dependent because people have different circumstances at different points but to, 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 to take to, out to, to take to, out debt just just for the sake of it because rates are low i mean i i get it and like corporations do that kind of thing a lot but i'm just not sure that the average person out there like if you can afford to buy a car then buy the car like don't don't finance it just because rates are low i just i don't i don't see the merit in that even though that that's probably not financially savvy. Like you could sit in a spreadsheet and tell me why that doesn't make sense, but I don't care. I really think that most of most business in America, including our industry, is now adopting the car financing route. It used to be because I remember, not that old, when you would walk onto a lot to look at a car, the salesperson would ask you, how much are you looking to spend on a car? Now the question is, how much can you afford each month? And what what's happening is your time horizon is now sliding out to these seven, eight year. I mean, if you want to buy a, a Mercedes, 10 year loan, no problem. Right. So the, so you're saying the the better conversation or the one that's in the person's best interest is is the first one, actually, the sure. one it used to be where it's how much how much money do you have to buy this thing? Right. Because if you get roped into like, what you can afford on a monthly payment, then they're going to tell you you can afford this thing that you didn't think you could because, oh, by the way, you can afford it. It's just a seven-year loan. Right. Right. And that's not really what you had in mind. But now you're now you're attached to the more expensive car that you thought you couldn't afford. Right. You think you can now. Now, I want to circle back to something that you just mentioned a moment ago about how businesses take advantage of low rates to issue new debt Businesses are a little different in the sense that, well, they're not different in the sense that if, you know, people work and they have income coming in, so they have money coming into their cash flow statement, uh, businesses can take on more debt when interest rates are low. They may be unbalancing their balance sheet, but companies can do, if they're publicly traded, they can do something about that because if they are taking on or refinancing their debt at lower rates, they're doing something smart. And if they're doing smart things, then their stock is probably moving up. So they could actually retire the debt at some point in the future with inflated stock prices. 
don't think for a minute that that couldn't happen. I really anticipate that when interest rates, whenever they begin to move up in earnest, right now they're moving down, but when interest rates do move up in a meaningful way, we are going to see lots of companies out there selling stock, doing secondary offerings of stock to raise money to retire debt. And people are going to look back at this period from the great financial crisis the last 10 or 12 years as companies have done this as a way for them to wildly expand their balance sheets and become companies that are much bigger than anyone really could have anticipated. Well, I think that's a good place to end then. Okay. Fair Thanks enough. for listening to episode 271, and we will catch up with you in the next episode, which we will number 272. 